right. Well, welcome to Beyond Sunday, and we're excited to, to be here today. Uh, today's a little bit different, across straight across from me, um, on your radio dial, <laughs> straight across from me <laughs> is Christian. He's normally the one sitting over in that chair, but today... Uh, we're excited we got rid of uh, Spencer. Oh, wait, we're not excited we got rid of him. No, we're excited, actually, that we've got Thomas Shearer with us. Yes. And uh, we're, it's going to be a great time. We're going to be working through just the, the message that he preached, uh, just on that whole worshiping and doubting. And, and uh, we're, we're excited to have this this conversation. If you don't know what Beyond Sunday is, this is the first time you've listened, um, it, it's just our opportunity to look into the amazing truths of Scripture, those those ideal Truths that oftentimes we read and we 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 try to understand, but we believe that God's word isn't meant just to be done alone. It's meant to be read and understood in relationships, specifically in relationships inside of a local church. And so that's what all of us are. We're members of Cornerstone here, and we're excited to have a conversation about it out of the friendship that God's given us. So, with that being said, let's talk about verse seventeen or verse. Yeah, 17. I almost said the wrong thing. Mine was 16. Yours is 17. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But maybe just for a little bit, maybe set the stage for us, Thomas. Like, first of all, like, from one standpoint, like, what is the big idea of this text? And specifically, like, what were you going after? So that's kind of the first question. And then the second question is, is like, why is this so important? Like, why why Mm -hmm. do we need to to have a whole podcast where we talk for the next few minutes? About this thing. So yeah, maybe just jostle those around and we'll we'll kind of, we'll get going here a little bit. All right. Well, maybe I'll switch the order. Why is it so important? Because we are not that different than uh, the first followers of Jesus. We are all cut from the same cookie dough. And so when we see them and their struggles, um, though we're all unique in the way in which we struggle and our, our stories are different, uh, yet we're, we're, we're the same. Um, and so there, there is a sense in which we, man, we can see ourselves, um, in the text. So just to set the stage, um, uh, I won't preach the whole message again, though I'm tempted to, cause I enjoyed it. Um, uh, disciples, they are seeing Jesus, the risen Jesus, they're worshiping him. Um, but then thrown, I mean, thrown right there in the mix, it says, but some doubted. And so the question comes, you know, what were they doubting? Um, and it's actually not stated. We have a little bit of ideas uh, as we look at some of the other gospels. Um, but I'll just give you the synopsis. I, I think they were trying to put together the pieces of what they understood the scriptures to say about the Messiah, and then trying to understand now where does what I see and what I'm experiencing fit into what I, I thought to be true from the scriptures, my understanding of God, my understanding of what the Messiah would do um, and what he would accomplish. And there's a whole lot of confusion um, in that. There's a whole lot of like, I'm not sure what to do with what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. And I think where the, the commonness of that is we don't all share the same, or none of us share the vantage point of God. We experience doubt sometimes because we don't know all that God is doing, um, we are so human. Our vantage point is limited. Our understanding of what God is doing is limited. And then sometimes because we don't know what he's doing, when somebody comes along or some thought comes into our head that explains things differently, um, for example, if we we hold to that God is, is, is good, right? Mm-hmm. And then yet in life, how we, we believe that from the text, and yet something plays out in our life where it seems like, well, that doesn't seem like God is good in that scenario, in that situation. Um, and then all of a sudden there's this thought 
well, maybe he's not. Maybe maybe the explanation is is what I thought is actually not true. Maybe he's he's not good. And so there because there's this wrestle that begin we begin to question: Is he truly good? Is he not? Is there another explanation than than what the Bible says? And so there's a process. And so the main thing, the response, no matter what the doubt is, and there is quite the spectrum of doubt that we can all experience as people. Um, uh, the main point that I was trying to make, and I think that. Uh, how Jesus responds uh, to their doubt is not condemnation. He talks about himself Mm -hmm. to remind him of this is who I am. I have all authority. I'm in control of all things and I'm not going to leave you. I'm with you. Um, I am with you and I will never leave you. I'll never abandon you. And I love that picture of both talking about his, his good, his greatness, but also his, his goodness. All right. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll unpack that a little bit more. But I think what's so cool about what you've said is is that like them, there is always a wrestle, mm-hmm. right? We Absolutely. always come to these points of like wondering and questioning. And the cool part about it is, is that we are actually designed to wonder and question mm-hmm. as long as we wonder and question in the direction towards Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right on. Okay. Well, good. Well, we'll, we'll unpack that here in, in just a second. Okay, so sweet. We we see that in many ways these these two responses that the disciples have on seeing the risen Jesus of worshiping and doubting, we can feel a sense of resonance or, or, or we can relate to both sides of those, right? Um, in your message, you just talked about the, the interplay between the two. Do you mind just walking us through that a little bit more? Like, if we can relate to both of these, in what ways, how, how do we respond when we encounter things that seem like they don't compute, we have questions about it. Maybe it's just one of those ones that's too big for us to wrap our minds around. Hmm. How, how does, how does this look? Sure. I think, um, the short answer is that we look, we, we, we continue to look to Jesus. We never look away practically. You know, I mentioned this in the message, like how do we see him? Um, we see him in scriptures. We see him uh, in the word. And the thing I kept saying over and over again was we, we open the book. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't neglect to open the book and to find him in the pages of scripture. Um, so we, um, so we, we, we take our, 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 our questions, we take our doubt or even the things that we don't understand and we carry them back to, um, uh, to Jesus or as we look to Jesus, um, we don't look away from what we know to be true. Mm. So, so I, even practically in my own life is like, okay, what do I know? What is absolutely unchangeable? I know that there are, um, there's an unchangeableness about his character. I know that he is both good and I know that he is great. And so I look to that over and over again and I say, look, you know, Lord, there's things I don't, I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't understand, um, why you would allow even these things to take place. Um, but I know there's an unchangeableness to your character. Um, and so that's where, uh, practically I'm going to keep taking my doubt back to him waiting on him. Um, and sometimes even those doubts in time, there's clarity that comes from just waiting and looking to him. How do you see the connection? Like you, you kind of seems like you teased around this a lot that where mystery plays into doubt and worship. Ah. Does that make sense? Like, like I was listening when you were preaching, you were kind of teasing around it a lot of times 
But there does seem to be something that connects worship and doubt together, which seems to be mystery, really, mm. really connects them together in a way. And I was just curious, like, how do you see the interplay on those? Like, hmm. it was just the thought that I had when I was listening to you preach. Sure. Um, I almost go back to, I think of uh, Romans 9, or the end of Romans 11. Um, I'm a can't remember it offhand he says oh the depth and the wisdom yeah. the knowledge of god like you come to this this issue of of god's sovereignty and yet um human uh free will in that passage you know and paul comes to the end of it and is like man ah there is a mystery here that i can't sort out but his conclusion is it's like there's a wonder here that i don't fully understand and it drives him to to worship i think sometimes like in all the things that we can't sort through we can't figure out we do come back to is like okay um am i peering into things that are too great and too wonderful for me to grasp and i don't have to have all the answers but i know him who does and so i can keep looking at him mm-hmm. and it does drive me to to worship mm-hmm. and i think i think the it almost seems like those things are can be perceived as mutually exclusive. So if I'm if I'm worshiping, then I I can't experience doubt. Right? I can't I can't have questions lingering in my own my my own mind. Um, but I I actually think sometimes with our with the quest the unanswered questions, particularly in the questions in and around um, uh, why or why would he do things this way or those kind of things, like. I think there's a greater beauty even to worship to say, I don't have an answer, but here's what I do know. Um, and I'm going to praise him for what is clear to me. So even though I don't have an answer for all that. Yeah. I was, I, when I was sitting there, I don't know if you, if either you guys were kind of working this through, it seems like there's doubt and, and worship kind of go hand in hand. Like, in our response, they're each responses, right, to something. Uh, worship is a response. Mm. <clears throat> Doubt is a response. And yet, like, there's been many times I have had that reality of working through the mystery of whatever's going on in the world, whatever's happening in my life. The questions I couldn't answer, I feel like I would go back and forth through it many yeah. times, right, where you're you're blown away by the work of God. But at the same time, you're really questioning like what's going on and why is it happening? And I think like, especially like in the Psalms, hmm. my last time through the Psalms, it, it felt like like the writers of the Psalms were constantly battling through doubt. So like a Psalm 13, how long, mm-hmm. how long, right? There was just this yeah. doubt to, to the first, like, what is it? Three or four verses. And then the last two or three verses are all about like him worshiping the loving kindness of God mm-hmm. and, I don't know. It just seems to be though that interplay between the two, especially out of the Psalms, was there that I was thinking, "Oh my gosh!" Like that's a that's a normal reality for the people of God. Yeah, and it seems to me that the way that we navigate doubt and and worship together, like a lot of it, really does come to where we insert ourselves in the equation, hmm. the the amount of author- interpretive authority we give to ourselves, right? What I mean by that is when I encounter something about God that I don't understand or that I'm struggling to wrap my head around, I'm faced with a fork in the road. I'm faced with a, I just don't understand how God could be like that. So therefore, 
if I take the authority, if I make myself authoritative mm-hmm. in that situation, I will say, so therefore I will not believe that God is like that or would do that or would say that mm-hmm. because it doesn't make sense to me. And my sense is the authority in that situation. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that worshipful response, that, that, that humble response is to say, I can't make sense out of this in my own mind. I can't make sense out of it. But I also acknowledge my sense, my sensibility is not the determiner of truth. Mm-hmm. What does it look like there to say, okay, Lord, if what your word says about if you are as big and as infinite and wise and as good, can I even at least just grant the 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 idea that you might see something that I don't, <laughs> that you may have a bigger scope, not only may, but if you are who you say you are, you absolutely do. You've created this world. You created me. You created, right? Exactly. You, you understand how this thing works way better than I do. And it seems to be, that's a big way, like we see in the book of Job, right? Yeah. The way that like in the, in the intense, intense, not just intellectual, my college professor said something and now I want to believe something different, but in intense suffering, rustling that he went through. How does God respond to Job? Like, let me show you how big I am and how many things I know and do and control that you haven't even thought yeah. to ask me about yet. Right? But how often? But not. But he doesn't do it like in a like a. It's it's not a put down. It's it's more of a. To your point, just like Jesus confronts their doubt with, "Let me show you who I am." That's what that's what God does for mm-hmm. Job, right? But his buddies tried to figure it out. <laughs> totally. Right. Like they were all like, you know, hey, here's here's how it is, Job. And instead, like God. God made sure he knew, look, you're not going to figure this out. Yeah. Were you there, right? He, all the different, were you, were you there? Were you there? Were you there? He doesn't ever say, hey, you're going to figure it out, which just seems to be the flaw of the friends where they, we think we've always got it figured out. And with such oversimplification, like they, they think it's an open and shut case. Yeah. Job, you must have done something wrong. And God has to rebuke them going, you were talking like you had something figured out. Yeah. You did not. Have yeah, until God finally goes, okay, we, we see each other now. Yeah. Right. And suddenly Job does the whole hand over the mouth thing, right? Where it's like, oh, no, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. And there seems to be a sense of worship. So it almost seems like part of the problem with Job's three friends is that they didn't have enough doubt. They didn't think deeply enough to have the doubts they should have had. Yeah. To, to bring out, we don't get it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because what friend thought, okay, here's the deal. Um, so. Satan is roaming the world, okay? And in roaming the world, like all of a sudden God goes, hey, check out my servant Job. <laughs> and in serving Job, you know, well, yeah, take away everything. Yeah, it's like, they have no clue what's going on right there. Yeah. And I think like that's the thing that is like so classic for us as people is we always think we've got it figured out when to your point there, maybe we should have a doubt that says we don't get it. <clears throat> And so therefore yeah. now instead of like trying to answer something I can't answer, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring myself to a position of looking onto Jesus and, and worshiping in this moment versus trying to figure it out. But the way that you just said that, man, I think that brings up such an important like discipleship point. When we're walking together as brothers and sisters in Christ and we encounter doubt. Someone's rustling with making sense of the mystery of how God worked. Why did this happen? All that kind of stuff. We need to be very careful that we don't fall into the role of Job's friends, which is by not critically thinking through it, by not seeking to sympathize well enough with where someone's at, just go, well, A plus B equals C. Like, what are you doubting for? Like Mm -hmm. to not oversimplify, but how does, 
how do we come with that same posture of a worshiping doubt, yeah. right? A yeah. sense of let's go to Jesus together because I can't make the sense of this mm-hmm. either, you know? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Anything else? You guys said that very well. Mm. That was good. Well, you just let us along, man. Yeah. Took us to water and we drank. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. we're gonna we're gonna land this here just a little bit, not only in our personal lives, but I love how Christian put that. Let's talk through some discipleship. Like, mm. what does this mm. look like as we walk together with each other through through this? What do what do worship and doubt kind of how do they come to play into us as followers of Jesus? All right. So in between, we are kind of talking about like the, and I've seen this so often, like this weird now, these, these uh, groups where they gather together in and around kind of lauding themselves in doubt. And you had a thought, why don't you throw that thought out there a little bit, which I totally agree with your thought. Sure. Yeah. Um, Doubt in and of itself, there's nothing necessarily noble Mm -hmm. or virtuous in doubt itself. Um, it is not a mark of uh, spiritual maturity to say, oh, I'm a doubter. Um, and that's, I mean, that says something. My name is Thomas, and uh, Thomas is known to be a doubter. So um, that's uh, why we had you preach this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it is a sign of our, of our, of our weakness. Um, so it ought, to, it ought to be, no, I am, I am small. Like there, there should be a great humility in it yeah. that, I'm small. <laughs> I do not understand. And whether it's uh, life or whether it's um, uh, or life circumstances, the way in which God does things, sometimes it's like, I don't have an answer, even from scripture, to fully explain what it is that I'm, I'm seeing. Uh, what is clear, again, like the things in and around the nature and the character of God, which is what Jesus did, is, is very clear. We can cling to that. But sometimes uh, life circumstances, knowing what God is doing, is not clear to us. And to say, it is unclear to me, and I'm wrestling with doubt, is not necessarily a sign of spirituality. It's just a sign of our weakness and our frailty. And that ought to um, not puff us up, but actually ought to drive us again back to Jesus. Yeah, doubt becomes a driver. Yes. Versus like something to be lauded. Hmm. It's meant to push us towards Jesus, not because in a weird way, doubt like we're talking about kind of these communities of doubt actually end up pushing people away f- hmm. from Christ, right? Yeah. Like they I think like lauding the doubt actually causes problems versus acknowledging the doubt so that it moves me towards towards Jesus versus away. Yeah, I think that's a really a really important point. And I think in some ways it it ties into both our doctrine of God and our doctrine of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that God made us in his image and shared what, you know, theologians often call his communicable attributes, the, the, the aspects of God's character that we in a much lesser degree can relate to him with. Right. But to see the Godward orientation of those things. So whether it is you're experiencing profound joy, that is meant to be <coughs> a Godward motivator. The God, the God who gives every good and perfect gift. Thank you, Lord, for that, right? Mm-hmm. Fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Doubt is meant to... Ju- so in, in all of them, to see the, the, the right, the proper Godward response mm-hmm. in, in whatever way you respond to, the, to, the, to the, the, the stimuli of the world around us, you know, like, 
I think that that's so huge because you even see throughout scripture that, that oftentimes it was in times of ease and comfort that God's people have drifted from him quickest, Hmm. more of a sense of, yeah, I got this. I'm good. And God becomes the lifeline. God becomes the one. No, it's when everything's falling apart. Now we remember that. We're reading through the book of Judges with our kids right now. And you just see that over and over again. Oh, they forgot the Lord. Things They got out from under their enemies and they forgot the Lord. And then their enemies came. And then they, then they remembered the Lord. That again, in some ways, if you're... If you're listening and you are in a, in a place of profound struggle, rustle, can't make sense out of what's happening in your life or what you see in the world or things like that, understand what an opportunity that is to draw closer to God. What, a, what an opportunity that is to come humbly before the king who sees and knows things better than you do and say, Lord, show me. And even if you don't show me how all this works together, show me who you are so that I know I can trust you in the midst of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about like how you ended on Sunday, just your own struggle. Sure. You want to just kind of open that up just a little bit more? Yeah. So um, I uh, did not learn to read well until I was about 15 years old. Um, Reading uh, was always a struggle for me. I remember being in school. I can still remember kids teasing me uh, in class. And um, when I was in junior high, uh, I quit bringing my Bible to Sunday school because I was terrified that I was going to be called on to read. That was like the the, the worst thing that we had, the humiliation of uh, fumbling through to, to read uh, a verse. And I actually remember my Sunday school was like, Thomas, why don't you bring your, your Bible to church? You're, you're at church. Um, like a good Southern, Southern Baptist fella, you know, um, and he meant well, but you know, I was too embarrassed to say, I, I'm afraid you're going to call on me to read. Um, so I, I kind of, uh, like when I wanted to, felt like the Lord was calling us to be a missionary, um, was always terrified of learning, learning language. I'm like, English was, was hard enough and, and, and I always struggled academically. Um, and the question was always, can God truly, um, can he, can he really use me? Um, because I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a scholar. Um, and you know, you play that comparison game and, and with everybody else and you start, um, you know, matching yourself. I was like, well, they're good in this. I'm good in this. And, you know, they have this strength. I have this strength, you know, and I just always felt like I don't measure up, you know, like I'm, <laughs> um, and so for, for 11 years, um, uh, of, of learning language and operating in, in another language, um, had to learn, uh, Indonesian. And then we moved into the, um, um, we lived with a people group called the Nagi, had to learn Nagi. Um, it was always a struggle and it was always a battle. Um, and I over and over again questioned both the wisdom of God, like, do you really know what you're doing? Mm. Or even the the kindness of the Lord. I remember saying that one time uh, in the middle of being like in a language session, you know, um, I'm in my little shack there in the jungle and just being so frustrated and, and even like crying. I'm like, God, this is cruel that you would call me to this ministry and yet not give me a better skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I seriously doubt it. Like, and, and what I mean by doubt it is I, I, I doubted the goodness of God. I doubted the favor of God. I doubted the wisdom of God. Um, and it was a battle. And over and over again, I had to go back to 
uh, scripture, had to go back to the promises of God um, to say, no, this was this was your idea, ultimately. You, you wrote down in, in, in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations. That includes the Nagi people. Um, I had to go back to uh, passages like 2 Timothy 1.9, where it says, man, you, you've, you've, you've called us and you've called us to a, to a holy calling, not because of my works, but because of your, your grace and your purpose, and remind myself of like, no, this was, this is, your calling, and so it must be your enablement. Um, it is not ultimately decisively on necessarily even the skill set. Uh, I had to go back to passages like where, where, where Paul talks about. It's like, okay, God's power is made perfect in my my weakness. That God is actually um, displaying His His greatness through my weakness, and it was um, it was. It was a battle. It was absolutely a battle. And it happened over and over and over and over again. And there were seasons, there were times when it was like, no, this is, man, this is like I'm seeing his power made perfect, you know, on display for everybody to see through my weakness. And there's other times where it was just like, Lord, like, I don't, I don't know how this can really be good. And so it was up, up and down a thing for me. And, and again, I think even the driving point of the whole message was, I had to keep going back and looking at Jesus. I had to go back to um, the promises of Jesus. I had to go back to the promises that were made true <laughs> for us as believers because of the work of Jesus. So did you find yourself like you doing this just internally, you alone, or did you have people externally also speaking into your life at this point that, right? Because I'm also thinking we've all been either in the spot where we've been in yeah. doubt or we have the person we're looking at that's in doubt, you know, so we don't be, we don't want to be Job's mm. friends here. Yeah. Did you find others coming alongside of you or was this merely just a kind of you internal battle mm. going on? You know, I'm really glad you said that. It was absolutely, most of it was internal because of our location. We were very isolated. Mm -hmm. um, but it was interesting uh, to, to have uh, coworkers who would come alongside and to say, you you may not know this. And and they would say with all the weaknesses, all the struggles, even when they heard me minister in another language, you know, and I, I was always apologize. Actually, it's, some of that's cultural. You apologize for the way in which you speak their language and then you apologize at the end. And, you know, some of that's just cultural. It's what they do. Um, uh, but I would sometimes feel like I don't know that I ministered to anybody. I don't know that anybody was, was blessed by anything I, I shared. And then a coworker would say, um, don't, question i mean i remember one time somebody saying do not question whether or not god used you during that time because that was a huge blessing uh, both to the 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 uh, expat community as well as to our uh, national friends mm -hmm. um, and so to have other other people speak into that and even affirm like we see a gift and a calling and even in the weakness even in yeah there was there there, there might have been other missionaries who could have um, <coughs> said things maybe a little bit more eloquently but what we cannot deny is that we see the life of the spirit of god in you and that was something that i saw over and over again so That's yeah so just i was i was asking that because i think a lot of times gosh i look back on the amount of people that have spoke into my life in those moments mm. and instead of speaking like job's friends presuming upon information that they didn't know they did speak truth into my life mm. right truth from god's word into my life in those moments that that's why i was wondering if it was just you or if there were others yeah. that would yeah. that would come alongside of you and so cuz i think especially from a discipleship standpoint when you when you get to that point 
where either you're there or you're walking with somebody else that's there, that capacity to speak rightly into their life is so mm-hmm. crucial and essential, right? Versus my opinions, my thoughts, my yeah. my perspective on something, which kind of goes full circle back to what you said, how arrogant it is for us to think that we know. Mm. But the truth of God's word spoken into their life is is true. It is right. It is noble. It is good, right? Philippians mm. 4. And so there's like this... This great part of like I think it was who's the who's the person that talked about gospeling one another? Who is the guy that first kind of said that? Oh. The Apostle Paul. We'll just give there it you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you're just that idea, right? Of like everything you brought up are gospel truths about who we are. But just that ability to gospel one another with mm. the truth of God's word. Is and I think like there's such a realism to that because in some ways, like when, even when you talk about Second Corinthians and God's power being made perfect in our weakness, like. It sounds very triumphant on the page, right? You read it on the page. Yeah, the power oh, of God's word. made perfect. I will yeah. boast in my weakness. And yet at the same time, God's what 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 does it feel like when God's power is made perfect in your weakness? It still feels weak. weak. Yeah. yeah. It still feels Paul says that's the lowest that was probably the lowest moment of Paul's life. Right. Yeah. Like of it should have been a pastoral epistle. Right. <laughs> right. He was taking his heart and throwing it on the table and just being like, ah. I'm done. Yeah. But that's where I think, again, from a discipleship perspective, remembering that what we're in, we're in verse 17 in Matthew 28, and what happens immediately afterward to a group of people who are worshiping and doubting, Jesus commissions them to discipleship. Says, you are now, it is time to go. Like, mm. I don't know, maybe like, could you speak to that for a second? Just that idea that, that doubt and rustle and mystery and weakness does not disqualify us from mission. Amen. I mean, I don't know how to add to that. I'm like, I'll just amen that. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? I, I think I think we need to embrace the the reality of our own our own weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, that we are we we will never arrive. Um, we'll never be um, uh, a, a perfect. You know, there's not that perfect place when. Um, you know, I don't wrestle anymore with any, anything, you know, it's just, I am just, you know, full-time, full-time, you know, Jesus loving, um, Christian. So I, I, I used to wrestle with that, yeah. but now I'm good. Right? Yeah. Now I've moved beyond that. I've like, arrived. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like when, when, when that wrestle is done, there will be another. Yeah. Um, the, the issue is you're just not aware of those tensions in your heart or you just God hadn't brought them to the surface yet. Um, uh, I think, okay, what was the last part of the statement you said where that intersects with, um, uh, oh, it doesn't disqualify us. Okay. Yeah. Let me try to stay on track here. Okay. <laughs> um, if you don't know me, I am ADHD to the max. So um, it keeps everybody guessing. Um, okay. Um, oh my gosh, I just did it it's again. Good, oh, yeah. What was it? Okay. How it. Yeah, that, that doubt and wrestle doesn't disqualify. Oh, it doesn't disqualify. We can still be, can still be used. Yes, um, there is a. Uh, I love that reality. I love that doubt lands itself right in the middle of the right before the the, the commission in the very commissioning moment of sending them out. Um, I, I just feel like it's this declaration of God saying, "Man, I will work with you. <laughs> I'll work with you. I'll carry you. I will. I will encourage you. Just keep looking." at me. And I think sometimes that we feel like because there's, um, whatever the doubt is, whatever the wrestle is going on in our heart that it's like, well, 
I need to wait until this is settled. I'm like, you can, you know, and I'm like, there are some things where it's like, okay, I need to, I need to, I need to find help with that. And I do hope that whatever, whatever the issue is, we always are looking to one another, looking to the means of grace, which is the body of Christ. But like, um, there's a sense in which God's like, man, I'm, I'm not setting you aside. I will work with you. Just keep looking at me. Like, mm-hmm. um, and in that, we we glorify the grace of God and the goodness of God and the um I love the thought uh, there's a song like he will hold me fast like he's the one who's going to keep me um and I cling to that and and in it's this weird sense of like I cling to him or I cling to the reality that he is clinging to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and he's the that, that the whole idea of like this was your idea, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I I actually remember um, when we were in the village uh, in Indonesia. This this idea of I remember looking out over over the village and thinking to myself, "Okay, God, this was your idea, like for this person, this me, Thomas uh, Shearer, to be here, uh, live among these people, and to strive to minister to them the gospel. This was your idea. So, Lord, would you would you help me? Would yeah. you keep me? Would you strengthen me? Would you encourage me?" because you know all the things going on in my own heart and my head. Um, so, That's yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, thanks for with us. letting me come and hang out, guys. Oh, this was awesome. So, And thank you for everybody that was listening. Glad you got to be with us today. Um, Thomas just finished his first book. It's called uh, The Ten People Who've Arrived and How He Trained the Other Nine. <laughs> so he's really excited oh, to release yeah. that one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a thought that came to my mind about five minutes ago. I just had to say it. Yeah. But no, seriously, like our heart and our prayer for you, even as we've gone through the Great Commission, is that from the very start, we said we wanted to focus in on the greatness of King Jesus. And so we pray that through this entire series, you encountered the greatness of King Jesus. But from it, from his greatness, that we become the people he intends us to be, these ones that convey the greatest message ever, the gospel of Jesus. And not just alone, but man, we're designed to do it in these relationships called the local church. So God bless you all, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.